In the last seven weeks of our series, we've talked about the following names. Our series, of course, is I Am, talking about the redemptive names of God. So just to recap quickly, in the last seven weeks, we talked about Jehovah Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner or the Lord is my victory. Then we talked about Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord our provider. Then Jehovah Makedeshkim, which means the Lord who sanctifies. Then Jehovah Rapha, which means the Lord who heals. Then Jehovah Rahi, the Lord is my shepherd. Then Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord is my peace. And then last week, Tanya talked about Jehovah Shama, which means the Lord is there. So as I said earlier, this week we're going to look, the name of God we're going to look at is found in the book of Jeremiah. And as a matter of fact, the only two times that this name is mentioned in the Bible is in the book of Jeremiah. So in Jeremiah 23, if you, as you there, as you turn there, if you're there already, I want to give you a little bit of background, to give you a little bit of history as I'm just going to be reading a few verses where we see the Lord's name, this name of the Lord. I want to give you a little bit of history of, of, of um, the period of time in Israel at this time. This is a time where Judah, the southern kingdom, was wandering from God and was experiencing a decline. Israel, the northern kingdom, had already departed from God a long time before and had been departed had been deported, I'm sorry, by the king of Assyria. Now the rest of the remainder of God's people were about to go under the judgment of the king of Babylon because they too had chosen to turn away. So as you can see, the different sections of of Israel had, had been turning away or had turned away from God. So Israel was going after other gods to meet their needs and, and thus their civilization and their culture was starting to decline. So pretty much the book of Jeremiah details the warnings and the impending judgment that the Israelites were to face due to their rebellion against God. So first of all, Jeremiah addresses Israel's leadership. So in Jeremiah 23 and verse 1, it says this, What sorrow awaits the leaders of my people, the shepherds of my sheep? For they have destroyed and scattered the very ones they were expected to care for, says the Lord. So God's speaking to the spiritual leaders at the time, the shepherds, and they were creating more confusion than clarity concerning who God was. Rather than using their position of influence over the Israelites to guide them, to direct them and protect them, and they were were supposed to be directing them towards God, the leaders were actually driving people away from the Lord. So all of this destruction in the culture at this time leads us to the introduction of this unique name of God. If you go down just a few verses, Jeremiah 23, verses 5 through 6, it says, For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. And this will be his name. The Lord is our righteousness. And that day, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. Let's go ahead and pray over our time in the word. Father, we thank you for your word, the power of your word, Lord God, the practicality of your word. Lord, give us today greater revelation of your word and of who you are, Lord, as we continue to study your name. Lord, I pray that we can apply it to our lives and that we continue can, can continue to live in a way that pleases you and all that we do. Lord, I bind up all distractions and any hindrances, Lord God, from your word going forth. And I thank you that it does not go back to your void, but it goes out and accomplishes what you have set it forth to do. May you bless me and help me as I teach it. And may you bless the hearers as they hear it and apply it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In this situation, God reveals another aspect of himself through his name. He combines Jehovah, which means the self-revealing God, with Sikkanu, which means righteousness. 
So this is the name we're going to look at today, Jehovah Sitkanu, which means the Lord is our righteousness. By identifying himself this way, God proclaimed his righteousness in the midst of a cultural culture of chaos and compromise. Remember, this was the Israelites, God's chosen people, and they had begun to compromise who they were as a people and what they were doing, the lifestyle they were living. So when the, the leadership under, he was, Jeremiah was trying to get the leadership to understand this, to understand who Jehovah Sitkanu was, the Lord, our righteousness. And then if he understood, if he can get the leaders to understand this, the people would know this as well. And as a result, there would be clarity on godly living. You know, unfortunately, some of the same things are happening today in our life, in our, in our culture, in the culture as a whole, and even in the church. Unfortunately, we're living in time known as values clarification. You know, we like to think that this is something new to us and our progressive culture and minds and all that, but values clarification reaches back thousands of years. Matter of fact, in Judges 21, 25, it says this, in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. See, again, a lack of leadership. Matter of fact, I, I, just a few years ago, I got revelation on the whole book of Judges. If you read the book of Judges, there's some very, very disturbing things that go on in the book of Judges. And I remember reading that, and it said that a couple of times, and then that's, that's how the book ends, with that statement. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes, so it hit me. That's why everything crazy was happening in the book of Judges. There was a lack of leadership, of godly leadership, and so people started gathering their own values and their own, you know, uh, thoughts of uh, what's right and what's wrong and what the Lord was like. So values clarification, if values aren't clear, it distorts a standard set of objective values. You know, in some places of education, it includes identifying who or what decides what is right or wrong. Some people suggest that the majority should decide. Others suggest each individual should decide what they believe is right or wrong. And the list goes on and on. However, the Lord wants his people to know that he is the standard by which everything else should be measured by. Is that right? He is the standard by how we should measure, and everybody really should be measured what is right and wrong in a way of living. He is the bar that separates right from wrong. His name is the name by which we distinguish good from bad. The Lord is our righteousness. Righteousness can be identified as the divinely ordained value of rightness. Righteousness comes from God, so only he can define true righteousness. Wrongness can be understood as that which contradicts God's rightness. Are y'all tracking with me? He is the standard. He sets the standard and the values. He always has and he always will. But again, there's some people that have, have distorted the clarification of that. So how can we either find clear standards of God's righteousness, if you're somebody in here today and you say that, yeah, Brandon, you know, at one time I felt like I had a clear standard of what was right and wrong or how I was supposed to live my life and whatnot. Uh, um, and I know, I even know what the Bible says, but now I hear different things that, that the Bible is getting irrelevant and outdated and it was written by men and all these kind of things. So if that's you, I, I want to show you a few ways that you can get clarification. And if you are, if you are clear on your values, I want to encourage you that today I want to try to help feed and nourish that righteousness that's already inside of you. 
So it doesn't get distorted. So you don't go away from it. That if you're living the way that you feel like the Lord has shown you how to live, that you will continue to do so moving forward. Amen? So number one, how do we do this? How do we define, clarify, or nourish the righteousness that's in this, that is inside of us? Number one, I believe we need to cultivate an appetite for righteousness. We must cultivate an appetite for righteousness. And I believe this because this is what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. One of the first blessings, Jesus said, blessed are those. I believe there's many blessings for those of us that have an appetite for righteousness. But I believe in the context of what we were just talking about, I believe that the, the, one of the greatest or the first blessings uh, of having an appetite for righteousness is that you have clarity of God's standards. You, you, you get clarity on the truth. See, so many people say so many things, even about what's written in the Bible. Isn't that right? Have you talked to a lot of people? Have you talked to anybody about the Bible, whether they're believers or non-believers? There's so many different people that say so many different things. And especially now, we notice how even now, I mean, there's surveys done all the time about even us known as evangelical Christians have, have, um, have, have faded away from biblical values. Are y'all tracking with me? Have you heard this too? Are you sensing this as well? Because it's out there. There's a guy named Barna for years. He's been doing it. And there's so many people that have gone away because I believe there's so many people that come along and say, yeah, yeah, the Bible says this, but that's not what it means. Yeah, the Bible does say that. And they agree with you. That You're like, oh, okay, good, man. The Bible says this, but you know what? It's not relevant anymore. We're more progressive now. We've moved. We, we, we're, we're more accepting to, to things now. And I think that's where the clarification gets distorted because so many people say so many things. But listen, when you truly have a desire, you have an appetite, or like Jesus said, you hunger and thirst for righteousness to live the way God wants you to live, I believe he satisfies you with the truth and clarity. I believe he satisfies you with truth and clarity. You see, because if you're just like Pastor Todd talked about a few weeks ago, you're just trying to see how close you can get to the fence, then you know what, you're not desiring that, that, that righteousness. You're just, you're desiring to see how close you can get and then the distortion gets even greater. But if you truly desire, Lord, I want to know you, your heart, your standards, your values, what you're saying, I believe what Jesus says is true, right? His, he is a, a promise keeper, right? Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, to know what's right, to do what's right, to live right, for you will be satisfied. And I believe, again, you'll be satisfied with the truth and with clarity. So if somebody comes along and says, yes, the Bible says this, but it doesn't really mean that. Or yes, the Bible says that, but it's not relevant anymore. If you're truly desiring the Lord, that will be the Holy Spirit inside of you telling you like, no, that's not right. What the Bible says, he means. Matter of fact, I remember talking to Brother Francis one day and he was saying that about the Bible. I, I, I asked him something that somebody said, well, this was, you know, um, they said this meant this. And I remember Brother Francis telling me, you know what? I take the Bible very literally. If the Bible says this, this is what the Bible means, right? And I agree with that 110%. Another reason our spiritual appetite is important, not only will we get truth and clarity on, on, on if you're searching for the standard or the values or you feel like you've lost your way, another important reason is that our spiritual appetite helps us locate where we're at in our relationship with the Lord. Give me an example. If you go into the doctor's office for an examination, and maybe you've, you've been, you know, something, you can feel like something's not right. You know, one of the things that the doctors will ask you 
is how's your appetite been? How are you eating? And if you say, you know what, I hadn't been really eating much. I haven't been, I haven't been having an appetite. I'm not that hungry. There's a, there's a good chance that there's something wrong. You might be getting sick. You might, they might, because a health, normal, healthy person has a normal appetite. So there's an indication there to a doctor in the natural that there might be something going on. You could be sick. Likewise, when you lose your appetite for righteousness, that's an indication that there might be some spiritual sickness setting in. When righteousness is not a priority anymore, right living, holy living is not a priority no more, you need to check yourself. You know, if that's not a big deal, like, oh man, that stuff don't really matter anymore. There might be something inside of you, a spiritual sickness that's happening. So that's what's good about desiring righteousness. Because what happens is, you know, well, let me say this. When the Holy, when, when the Lord saved and the Holy Spirit came inside of you, he gave you an appetite for righteousness. When your hunger for God is decreasing and your appetite for the things of the world is increasing, you can be sure that there's distance between you and the Lord that's growing. Because you know that's right. Most of us, when we first got saved, we were like bulls in a china cabinet, right? Like lifestyle totally radically changed. And it was just like, man, anything that looked, tasted, smelled like or resembled the world, I am getting so far from that. Matter of fact, me and me and Matt were having a conversation this week about that. And it's just, man, you, you just want to, you're all in, you know? And I believe that's from the Holy Spirit. I remember nobody had to tell me to do that. It was just something I desired. I was so sick of living in pig slop. I was ready to be living in the palace now, and it was awesome. And so I was like, man, I don't want nothing that looks like pigs or slop anymore, right? And so the Lord gives us that. So, you know, if you don't have a desire for righteousness, for godly standards, for right living, I suggest that you pray about it and, and do a spiritual checkup. I know Pastor Kelly talks about that. Hey, he likes to routinely do a checkup on himself, set kind of like a, a diagnosis, but ask the Lord, not only that, ask him to help you with that. You know, I, I read about a young man that said that he sometimes struggled with maintaining his weight because he loves to snack. He said, the problem is that when I snack, I don't feel like eating real food. So I fill up without nutrients. You see, you can go to like Mesh's Donuts and you can get full, right? Right? And my, my children would like to do that every Saturday morning. So, but a donut is, is nutritionally wrong, so to speak. It may be right in terms of sweetness and, and its pleasure, uh, uh, but considering what your body needs to function, it's wrong. When you fill up on donuts, you can kill the desire for real food that supplies you with vitamins, minerals, complex carbs, proteins, and things like that. You'll lose your hunger for what is right as a result, and you won't eat much healthy food or you ignore it altogether. And as I read that, as I began to think about that, all of us as kids and now all of us as parents, when we ask, Mom, can I have this? Say, no, we're about to eat dinner. That will spoil your appetite or spoil your dinner, right? They wouldn't let us eat junk food right before supper time because they knew we wouldn't be hungry for nutritional food. Isn't that right? So the principle holds true in the spiritual room as well. When you fill up on things, like none of these things I'm about to say are bad, but when you fill up on these things first, like especially nowadays, reading everything in the news, social media, watching TV, talking with people, and getting the world's perspective before going to God, you lose your appetite and hunger for God and his righteousness. See, just like there's nothing wrong with snacking, nothing wrong with eating donuts once in a while, which, praise God, we got meshes down here, right? I love a good, hot, warm, melting meshes donut, right? Some of y'all are going to leave this morning and go get donuts right after church. 
There's nothing wrong with donuts. There's nothing wrong with watching TV and the news and all that stuff. But if you fill up on that, if you fill up on that, then you lose your appetite for what you need to be getting from the Lord. Spiritual nourishment, spiritual righteousness, spiritual, I mean, you know, godliness and, and, and living that way. Now, living a life of righteousness also may not feel good at the moment. In fact, when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you may become even more aware of your sinfulness. And it won't feel good at all. So let me, let me tell you, when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, if you hadn't been living in that standard and you decide to, something shifts in you, it's not always going to feel good. Because you know what? The Lord will expose any sin in our life. Hebrews 12, 10, 11 says this, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is ever enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. And all the kids said amen. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of what? Right living for those who are trained in his way. You see that? When the Lord disciplines us, shows us their sin in our life, why is that? It's to help us to live righteously. It's to help us in right living. So the only way to live righteously is to allow God to reveal your sin so that he, so that in his grace and mercy, he can give you what you need to overcome it. Let me give you one more example. And I know this has hit close to home for us even just recently in our family. You know, if, you're, if someone's stomach's hurting, or like in, in, in the case of uh, someone in our family, uh, his jaw is hurting and, 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 and there was a bump on his jaw. And he, he, he went to the doctor to find out what's going on. But find out that he has a mass on his jaw and Tuesday he has to go get it removed. Now listen, that surgery is going to be painful. When they cut on you for any reason, a lot of y'all in here have been through surgery. It's painful, right, at first. But hopefully, at the end of that surgery, when it heals, it brings forth healing, right? So the Lord's discipline is the same way. You know, we might have to go through a painful time, but eventually it's to help us to get healed, to get right, and to live for the Lord. Amen? So I want to encourage you, cultivate an appetite for righteousness. Number two, seek and stick with God's standard of righteousness. Again, if you're not clear, seek out what's God's standards of righteousness. And of course... And maybe you don't know this. Maybe you're new here today. First time in church, maybe, or you haven't been in church in a long time. And because there's such a barrage of standards of what's right and wrong, we know that the best place to seek out God's standards of his righteousness is through his word, is through the Bible, right? How do I know that? Because 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true. Remember earlier we talked about getting clarity and truth. To make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what? What is right. It teaches us to do what is right. So if you are confused, again, about or not cleared, about God's standard, about his righteousness, about his holiness, about how we're supposed to live our lives, if you're doing something wrong, seek out the Lord through his word, and he'll show you. It says that he will show us and to help us to realize what's wrong in our lives. And then again, as that word, he'll correct us again. As we said, he'll discipline us. But then he comes back and shows us what is right, right? Just as, again, as us as parents, one of the things I was just talking with Christian and Natasha this morning, uh, things that our parents always told us that I used to hate as a child, now I'm telling my own children. Isn't that crazy how that happens? I can remember when my dad would spank me and he would always say, and you've heard this too, this is going to hurt me way more than it hurts you. And I never, ever, ever believed him when he said that. Because he was a strong man, and when I would get a spanking, it hurt very bad. And I was the one crying, he wasn't. So I never believed him when he said, 
this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you, right? I never believed it. But my dad, not every time, but a lot of times after he would spank me and I'd be crying, he'd say, hey, come give me a hug. And I never wanted to hug him because, of course, I was mad. Like, you just burned me up. Now you want me to give you a hug. But he would explain to me, the reason I'm doing this is I'm trying to teach you right from wrong. And that's what it says here in the scriptures, again, that that's what the Lord does from us. You know, if we want to seek out what true standards of right and wrong. See, our parents did it like he, they taught us the standard of right and wrong with the belt. Or the fly swatter. How many of y'all ever got spanked with a fly swatter? Y'all, okay, so, yeah, people from the country usually got spanked with a fly swatter. So, yeah, they started in Bro Bridge with a fly swatter, and then when we worked our way up, it got a little bigger, it turned into the belt, you know. So, um, but that was the standard of right and wrong right there. God's standard is found in his word, right? So, listen, we must ask the question, with regard to, when I say everything, everything in your life, what is God's view on the matter? What is God's view on the matter? It's okay to ask. We're, we're here to give you godly counsel. You have good friends and family in your life to ask, but what is God's view on the matter? Then you go to the Lord's word and find the answer. If you pray, Lord, and, and, and this is why it's so important that prayer and Bible reading and Bible study work hand in hand. When you ask the Lord a question, you don't always hear it in the spirit, but you can find it in his word. If you can't find it, ask a mature believer, ask a life group leader, ask one of the pastors. We'll be more than glad to try to help you find the answers. And sometimes it's not cut and dry. Other times it's very cut and dry. It's very black and white. It's very easily laid out in God's word. Keep in mind that you don't ask the question after you tried everyone else's view. When you ask the question before you ask your neighbors, friends, coworkers, or anybody else, you get God's view first. And then you act on it. Colossians 2.8 says, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. There will be a lot of empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense when you start talking to people about values and about what's right and wrong. You will get it. I'm sad to say this, but even in the church, even in the church, when you begin to start living according to God's standards of holiness and righteousness, even in the church, you get accused of being legalistic. You get accused of, of, of being overzealous or of being old school or of all these kind of things. And listen, and when I'm talking about, you know, everybody has all, you know, different convictions, personal convictions. I definitely understand that. But when there's clear things that are laid out in the word of God that there's no gray area about and people are like, yeah, man, but that don't really apply anymore. It don't really apply anymore. Yeah, I mean, well, it's just like we're married. Well, the Bible talks about marriage very clearly. And that there are certain things that are saved only for marriage. Even if it's just like you're married or we're going to get married. That's just an example. That's one of the things in life that has been very much compromised in our culture. It says the marriage bed should not be defiled. It makes it very clear you know, so there's clear things and there's other things. Listen, God is righteousness. His viewpoint is the right viewpoint. Any deviation from the Lord's viewpoint that he sets in his word leads to chaos, compromise, and more complications in your life. Just remember that. When you deviate from the Lord's standards, from the standards he set in his word, 
you're setting yourself up for compromise and just even further chaos. As we saw, again, the context of Jeremiah when he revealed his name was that they were, had gone away from the Lord, started serving other gods, worshiping, and, and the, the whole society, the Israelite civilization was in chaos. They were being deported. They were being taken over, being about to be ruled by the Babylonians, and judgment was coming because of this. Listen, life is hard enough as it is when you're seeking the Lord and doing what's right. Isn't that right? Uh, it, it's not always going to be perfect. There's, it's not always going to be prosperity and blessing, right? I mean, there is. That's part of it. But even when you're doing what's right. So why would we want to further complicate things? Why would we want to make things even harder going against what God has clearly set in his word? Number three, spend time with people who pursue righteousness. If you want to live a righteous life, spend time with people that pursue righteousness. Look at 2 Timothy 2.22. It's amazing because I've used a lot of these scriptures in other messages and preaching to youth and just over the years. And it's amazing how I thought about these scriptures and how it so much ties into what we're talking about today. Again, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, look at this, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. So that's good. It says, hey, pursue that kind of life. But look at the very next sentence, which is in the same paragraph and context of what he's talking about. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. I'm telling you, in our day and age, in our culture of compromise and waywardness, it will be a lot easier to live righteously if you're doing it with somebody. If you're walking with somebody that has the same heart and the same convictions and the same biblical values that you do. Isn't that right? It's a, it's a, it's a whole lot easier. Listen, you can't spend time with the wrong people and expect to live the right life. You can't spend time with the wrong people and expect to live the right life. 1 Corinthians 5.33, a lot of you are familiar with this. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals, right? Morals is another way of saying standards, values, righteousness. I don't misunderstand what I'm, misunderstand what I'm saying here. I'm not talking about becoming a, a, you know, isolating yourself or becoming a monk or, or, you know, having to go off in the mountains somewhere and grow a beard and long hair and all kind of stuff like that. People don't even go to mountains to do that anymore. So that's happening now. We're supposed to be in, a, in this world and make friends with the lost. I preached on this recently, just a couple of months ago, on the balance. You remember the balance of not compromising, standing firm, but still loving well, loving right, loving people? However, what I mean by that is that the world systems isn't supposed to be in us. So when I say not to hang out with or spend time with the wrong people, what I'm saying is, I mean, don't derive your patterns, your perspectives, and orientations on values or anything else from those who aren't pursuing righteousness because they will take you down the wrong path. Does that make sense? Am I clear? I'm not saying don't hang out with anybody but Christians because then we would never win none, right? You got to spend time with lost people. You got to love on lost people. You got to, you, you have to do that. When I say spending time is you're not, you're not, you're not getting influenced by them. You're supposed to be influencing them, right? And so, but the, so there has to be a balance. There has to be a balance of a lifestyle that you're living with believers that can encourage you, that can sharpen you, that can, you know, and again, I'm, I'm just going to use Matt again because me and Matt spent time together this week. He was talking about how he has a really good friend that they do that. They spend time with one another. They help one another. They, they see when one another's struggling with something and, and they were struggling with something at the same time. They would encourage one another. Well, man, let's start doing this. Let's start worshiping on the way to work. Let's start praying and let's start, you know what? And Matt was telling me how much that helps him. You know, now I know Matt's around lost people. I know he has a heart for the lost and he ministers to lost people, but he has key people in his life that he spends time with. We still spend time together on a regular basis. 
And, and he has people in his life that he does that with because he, he understands this. He understands that, you know what, if you're only hanging around with people that are not seeking out righteousness, you're going to begin to think, live, and act like them as well. So that's why the Bible says pursue righteous living. Call upon the name of the Lord with those with a pure heart. Again, that's why life groups are so important. If you don't have friends like that, if you don't have a group of people that we have life groups, that's why we do it. It's not just to have a kumbaya meeting. It's because we want you to help you in your walk, your life, to live righteously with other people. If you wish to grow in righteousness, you must spend time with people who are pursuing it. For example, for those of us as, as parents, we wouldn't want our children hanging around with drug addicts, would we? I used to be a drug addict, so I'm not picking on addicts. I used to be an addict and alcoholic. We would, and I know the destruction in it. I know how, how, how it ruined my life for a decade. But as, we wouldn't want our children hanging out with drug addicts, right? Isn't that right? Is that right? Or if you knew somebody was doing drugs, you wouldn't just send their, your kids off to go hang with them every day, right? And why is that? Because we know that they might pick up on their habits, on their ideas. They might tell our children, well, this is okay, man. Look, it, it hadn't affected me, right? I was one of those. I used to say that. I'm, I'm fine. I, I got a good job. I got a, you know, nice little truck. And, my, you know, I, everything's good. I don't have a problem here. You know, so it's the same way with us. It's, you know, God doesn't want ungodly people rubbing off on us. We need to be rubbing off on them. That's what it goes back to. I'm not saying, I don't want you to be an isolationist. I don't want you to, we, we have to, and I pray that. I pray that over my children, over you, that we wouldn't be influenced by them, but we would, would influence the, the, the world, right? We read that scripture. That's, we talked about it in our influence series as well. So surround yourself with people who desire to live a life of holiness godliness and righteousness and the fourth and final thing about this which is the most important thing which really hones down on his name is that you must be in right standing with God you must be in right standing with God let's read the passage in Jeremiah again where he we find the name Jehovah Sidkenu Jeremiah 23 5 and 6 for the time is coming says the Lord when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line he will be a king who rules with wisdom Excuse me. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. This will be his name. The Lord is our righteousness. In that day, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This verse is one of the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus Christ. That's who the branch is. Jesus came from Davidic, the Davidic line. Jesus himself is one of David's offspring. It goes without saying, right, that Jesus is the most unique individual who ever lived and walked on this planet, right? conceived of a, 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 and, uh, by the Holy Spirit of a virgin birth. Uh, one of the unique things about Christ is that he is both fully God and fully man. So born without sin, having lived 33 years without sinning, Christ hung on the cross to pay the penalty for the sins of mankind. After his death, burial, and resurrection, the righteous branch, as Jeremiah prophesied, was fulfilled the intended purpose of Jehovah Sidkenu. The Lord is our righteousness. See, look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. We know this because the Apostle Paul says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins, so that we could be made with right with God through Christ. Jeremiah was prophesying about Jesus coming and that he would be the Lord our righteousness. Some translations say so we can become the righteousness of God in him. See, the first three points I talked about righteousness, I was talking about what we had to do or what we need to do or what we should do on our end and living. Now I'm talking about who we are. Being right with God is your position with God. 
Matter of fact, again, the, being the righteousness of God in him is being in right standing with God, being in a right position with God. And I want to try to clarify this because really I'm ending with this, but really this is at the beginning. You know, we, when we're in right standing with God, there's one thing that we have to do, and we're going to talk about that. We have to believe in him. We have to trust in him. And once we do that, we're in right standing with God. Now, us living righteously helps us to continue to live a victorious life. But there's nothing else that we can do. The sin of humanity, yours and mine, was credited to Jesus Christ. Because of his sin, because of this sin, on him the wrath of God was poured out on the cross. The beatings, the nail, the brutality was agonizing, but even worse, he bore the wrath of God on the cross because of our sin. Jesus paid this ultimate cost in order that we can become the righteousness of God in him, as we just read. Just as our sin was credited to Jesus' account when he hung on the cross, his righteousness was credited to us as we trusted him and make him our Lord and Savior. You following with me? There was a credit transaction. Jesus died on the cross and said, I'll take all of your sin upon me, and then I'll give you my righteousness. I'll give you right standing with the Lord. Because of Christ's righteousness, again, you were credited with this when you believe in him. Neither you nor I are righteous in our own standing. So even the first three things I talked about, none of that stuff can be done until we're in right standing with God. It has to start with our position in him before we can live out any of those things. Through Christ, we receive, again, a credit exchange. Our sin on him, his righteousness on us. Only his perfect righteousness gets you and me into heaven. Nothing else will do. Nothing else will do. So really, it starts here. It starts with us being in right standing with the Lord. So everything I talked about, I still believe wholeheartedly. We must, we must desire, and, and, and like Jesus said, hunger and thirst for righteousness. That means right living. But it starts with being in right standing with God first, where he empowers us to do that. Why don't you go ahead and stand up with me? I want to make it clear. We can't do enough righteous deeds. We cannot sin enough to get us into heaven. It says that we are the righteousness of God in Christ, in him. So I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you in right standing with God? Are you in right standing with him? Are you 100% convinced or confident that you're going to go to heaven whenever you perish? If you're not, you could be made right with God right now, in this moment. Galatians 2.16 says, Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ. If you know you're not in right standing with God, today you can place your trust in Christ. Believe upon him, the Bible says. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. As I always say, that word believe, it's so powerful. The true meaning, if you look at that word in the Greek language, it means to trust. You have to trust in him. You see, we can't trust in our righteous deeds and what we do. Again, that's a product after we give our lives to the Lord. Again, if you walk out of here and say, okay, I'm going to live good, I'm going to live right, I'm going to do all the things I need to do, you'll never make it. It has to start with this. It has to start with you trusting Christ. Like I said, his sin, he died on the cross, fully God, fully man, came down from heaven, became a man, lived 33 years on this earth to die on the cross 
to do a credit exchange for us. Can you imagine? We deserved all that penalty, all that punishment, all that wrath, but Jesus was willing to take it upon himself and not only take it to where we didn't have to receive it, but he also gives us his righteousness that we can be in right standing with God and all we need to do is trust in him. Why don't you close your eyes with him? If you say, Brandon, man, I don't know if I'm right with the Lord. I don't know if I'm in right standing with him. You know, I've been trying to do things, but I just, I don't know. I'm not confident today. I'm not 100% that if, if I perished, if I left this earth today, where I would be spending eternity. The Bible makes it clear we're going to spend eternity somewhere, either heaven or hell. That's the only two options. So if you say, Brandon, I, man, I, I don't know if I'm right with God, but I want to get right with God today. I want to be in right standing with God. I want to trust him, believe him, and turn away from my sin and accept him. If that's you, I just want you to slip up your hand and say, man, I want to be sure. Brandon, I want to be sure, man. Slip up your hand today, and we're going to pray for you. I see your hand, man. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. See your hand, sir. See your hand in the back over here. Hands going up in the back as well. Thank you, man. God bless you. God bless you. Today is your day. Today is your day. Anyone else? Say, Brandon, I don't know if I'm right with God. I want to be in right standing. It says that if we place our faith and our trust in Christ, we will be. So this is what the Bible says says first of all to repent to turn away from your sins and that the lifestyle you will live and trusting in yourself instead of Christ and then it says if you believe in your heart confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord you shall be saved so with all y'all with your hands raised as a church we're going to pray this together I want to lead you in a simple prayer of faith just say Lord Jesus I thank you I thank you for loving me I thank you for dying for me I thank you for taking my sin upon you and giving me your righteousness Lord Jesus, I ask that you save me today. I make you my Lord. I make you my Savior. I trust you with my life, and I trust you with my eternity. Now help me to live a life that glorifies you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And amen. Come on, why don't we give these a round of applause and celebrate with them. Amen. The Bible says give honor where honor is due. Let's honor them. What a blessing. Hey, for those of you that that prayed that prayer for the first time maybe you didn't slip up your hand but you prayed it or you've been away for a while and you wasn't sure do me a favor there's a card in the pew right in front of you says I made a decision take you about 30 seconds to fill out that card a minute at most fill it out and do us a favor and go to the info center in the lobby drop it off if you don't have a bible we want to give you a bible we want to encourage you hey for the rest of us right listen before you leave before you walk out let's cultivate an appetite for righteousness if you're not sure if you value your values have slipped seek and stick with God's standard of righteousness and then make it a point to spend time with people that are pursuing righteousness amen God bless y'all we love y'all have a great day if you need prayer for anything we'll be up here